Open your Bibles to Psalm 34, verse 1. It feels like an eternity since I've preached up here, so I'm excited. I might go a little longer. Two, three hours shouldn't be a problem. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Psalm 34, verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. That is a whole sermon right there that I'm not preaching. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. If you were to ask me to pick one scripture that would represent Southeast Louisiana, it is Psalm 34, 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Because there is no scripture, I think, that captures our area better than something involving food. Because how many of you know whenever you invite family in from out of town or family just friends come in or you meet new people that are not from here, what's the first thing you want to do? You want to feed them. Like seriously, whenever a guest minister comes to town, I'm like, where am I going to take them to eat? Because we don't have mountains to go see. We don't have beaches to go see, right? We have food to eat. And so I'm like, where can we go eat? And so I try to find a place that like, okay, if they want seafood, where am I going to take them? If they want like steak, where am I going to take them? If they want barbecue, because I think everything here is better, right? Like I, I just think we have the best food. And so I do. I think, I think it's better. Everything is just because it's here. But what I think is except Mexican food. I know our Mexican food is not that good, but I don't like Mexican food, so it's okay. But I, it's true. I mean, ponchos is the best Mexican food on the planet in my mind, so... And Jason and Melanie should agree because that's where they met, but they're in rebellion and don't agree that Ponchos is the best Mexican food on the planet. But, I mean, come on, you remember the little flags? Well, you remember the flags from Ponchos, right? Doesn't that just make you feel the spirit? I mean, I feel the spirit right now. I'm about to start testifying and praise lapping. Oh, it's, it's, oh, it is a different spirit, but it's all right. Praise God. But, it's food, right? Why? Because it's an experience. Louisiana food is not just a meal, it's an experience. It's something that you, like, take part in. And it's almost like if every Louisiana cooker that's ever cooked is now still cooking through the people who are alive cooking today, right? Like, it's just insane, the experience. And this scripture says, taste and see. And we're going to get back to that in a minute because I want to give you the, the lead up here. So for the first couple of verses, verses 1 through 3, David is basically giving this all call to everyone to bless the Lord. He's like, I will bless the Lord at all times. Come bless the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Like all this kind of stuff is he's saying, you should bless the Lord. And you should bless the Lord. And you should bless the Lord. He's giving this extremely big invitation to worship and bless the Lord with him. Why? Because he's under the impression that every single person he's talking to knows that God is good. So if I were to ask you the question, is God good? You would say, Right? You, thank you. A couple of y'all said yes. I'm going to try it again. If I were to ask you the question, is God good, you would say? Yes, you would say yes. If you listen to life songs in the 90s, you would say all the time. Because we just know that he's good. And so David is highlighting the fact that God is good. And if he's good, we should praise him. But then in verse 4 through 7, he changes it. And he starts telling you about how God was good to him. 
See, we can all testify to the goodness of God, but it goes to a different place when you start saying how he's been good to you. Right, because we can all agree that God is good because we're breathing, we're alive, right? We, we can function. We can say that God is good. We can agree that God is good because we can, we either have food for breakfast, if you didn't eat breakfast, you'll have food for lunch, you're going to see family this week. Like all the, we all have the, some of the same things to thank God for, but then we all know there's another level to it that where God's been good to you in ways that are different than he's been good to me. And so David is saying in verse 4, he said, I sought the Lord and he heard me. See, I don't know if you've sought the Lord. I know I have. And I know he's heard me. So there's this individual part here. But David's still giving a testimony. David, is, he's telling you how God has been good to him. And I, I want to tell you something that if you can't right now, if I were to walk around, let's pretend stage fright wasn't a thing, right? If I could walk up to you and hand you this microphone and say, tell me how God has been good to you, you should have a testimony loaded in the chamber ready to fire the moment you get the opportunity. Why? Because if he's been good to you, you really should want to tell people. Right? And so we have this hope, but, but verse 8 totally changes things. Verse 8 is taste and see that the Lord is good. See, up to verse 8, David is telling you that, A, God is good in this big picture situation, and everybody can agree. Then verse 4 through 7, he's talking about how God is good, but let me tell you how he's been good in detail for me. But verse 8 says, taste and see. And what David does here, I love it. What David does is he says, you know what, instead of me trying to convince you that God is good based upon how good he is to me, how about you just try him yourself? Right? Instead of me trying to convince you, have you ever felt like you, you ever tried to convince somebody of something you knew was good, but you didn't, they didn't think so? Right? I remember, I'll, just, I'll give you an example. My brothers, for years, tried to convince me about watching the Marvel movies. <clears throat> and I still don't think they're the greatest movies ever, but they're good movies. It's a good story, Right? But I would not watch them. And eventually it became this thing of, now I'm not going to watch them because y'all won't leave me alone about them. But then quarantine happened. And I got so much time on my hands, I guess I'll watch the dumb movies because there's like 80 of them and I can give myself something to do. And then I'm like, oh, well, they actually have a pretty good plot. Some of the stuff still thinks kind of dumb, but it's okay. Like, because I've never been a big superhero guy. But, like, I, I, instead of just listening to them sell me on what they thought, I did it for myself and saw that it actually was good. There are so many people, hear me out, there are people in this room, there are people watching, there are people all over the United States that are wondering why they are not seeing the goodness of God. It's because they're not tasting anything. Because, see, COVID took this and, and multiplied it like times 10. But... Technology and Western society has made Christianity largely an intellectual faith, a logical faith. Let me explain what I mean by that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Right now, you, can, you don't even have to go to a church service and you can listen to world-class preaching every day because of the Internet. You can listen to a podcast. You can read books. You can watch stuff on YouTube. You can listen to world-class. Let me tell you something. When I was growing up, when I was younger, when I first got on worship teams, the music wasn't like it is now. Right? It, worship was not cool. It was necessary. But you didn't listen to worship music because it sounded necessarily good. 
You listen to worship music because you wanted to worship. Now the worship music sounds good. Like it's, it's extremely well done. And so we've got all of this technology, all of this content, all of this preaching. And what it has done is it has removed our part in it. It's removed any experience from it because now, oh, I can just hear about God. I can just learn about God. I can sit in my car and I can listen to world-class preaching or world-class books or a world-class podcast from here to California, right? And it'll never stop. You can listen to it over and over and over and over and over again. But there's a massive problem. People are filling up on knowledge but not Jesus, they're filling up on knowledge, but they're not filling up on Jesus. <clears throat> More people are studying Scripture today due to the Internet, yet fewer people are encountering the God that we read about in that Scripture. Now, why does this matter? Why does it matter? I'm here to tell you, listen very carefully, Christianity is meant to be experienced. Jesus is meant to to be experienced. Not just understood logically or experienced intellectually. Jesus is meant to be experienced. He died so that we could experience him. But today, because of the ease of the content, because of how fast we can take our phones out and pull up a sermon, we have lost the, the necessity, we've lost the, the commonality, we've lost even from a cultural standpoint in church of the engaging in with what is going on. We've lost it. But I want to tell you something real quick, why it matters. Why does experience matter? Well, first off, 2 Corinthians 3.6 says that the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. What does that mean? What that means, hear me out. And I don't know if you're going to find somebody who loves the Bible more than me. I, I'm telling you, if I could memorize the whole thing by cutting it up and eating it, I would cut it up and eat it. Give me barbecue sauce and a Dr. Pepper, and it's done. You understand? Like, if that would make me memorize it, I would do it. I love this thing. It's my main hobby is this book. But if all I do in my relationship with Jesus is read this book. This book becomes something that hits my ego. This book becomes something that makes my intellect feel bigger. This book becomes something that makes me begin to look at people differently because they don't measure up to this book. Because the letter kills. Want to know how I know this? Because at one point this book was used to endorse slavery. At one point this book has been used to endorse all kinds of things that have nothing to do with the author. But because someone didn't know the author, they just quoted him. It was manipulated and it was twisted. And so the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. It's when I spend time with Jesus through communion with the Holy Spirit. When I spend time with him, I get to know his heart. I get to experience his nature. I get to understand what he's like. And so then when I take his character and his nature and his spirit, and I begin to read this book all of a sudden, I start interpreting it the way he wants me to interpret it. The second reason is experience, hear me out, experience guards against doubt. And knowledge guards against error. So we need both. You've got to have both. My people perish for a lack of knowledge, right? I understand that. But experience guards against doubt. Well, what does that mean? Well, again, as I just said, there's so much content out there. There's so much content, there's so much stuff you can listen to and hear about and read about and, and just as much stuff that there is for Jesus and pro-Jesus, there is just that much anti-Jesus. There's just that much against him. There's just that much against Christianity. 
But when I have an experience with him, you can't convince me to turn away from him. Because, see, I might not be able to argue or defend or to debate with some of the brilliant people that this world has to offer, but it does not matter if you stand before me and you win the argument. You can't take away the experiences that I've had with Jesus. You can't take away the times that he has touched me with his presence in a way that no book could ever describe. But if we're not experiencing him, all we're left with is our logical efforts and endeavors to represent God. And I'm here to tell you, he does not want to just be known or experienced through a book. I'm telling you he doesn't. Believe me, I'm not diminishing this in any way, shape, or form because I believe our experiences are supposed to be guarded by this because there's some weird stuff that goes on in church. But you've got to be experiencing him. You have to be experiencing Jesus. And if you don't know what that means, this message is for you. If you don't know what it means to experience Jesus, Here's the deal, right? All of Christianity is wrapped up in one thing. One, one, one thing is, it's the resurrection. If you disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ, everything else falls apart. But if we believe in the resurrection, that means we believe he's alive. And if he's alive, he can be experienced. He can be interact with. He can do things today. In order to experience him, though, there are a couple things we have to have. Number one is faith. Faith. Why? Because you're never going to try something you don't think is going to benefit you. You're never going to try something that you don't think you're going to enjoy. I, we could go to a theme park. I like roller. I was talking to Rebecca this morning. I, I like theme parks. I don't like the lines or the crowds or the prices. Right? But I like roller coasters. So if you know anybody that has one in their backyard that doesn't mind if I come ride it, let me know. It'd be great. But I can remember being when, when, we're at, when it was Jazzland. Before it was Six Flags, it was Jazzland. And I remember like the first year it was open, we went as a youth group from the church. And I think I was like 12 years old. And I did not like roller coasters. I was small. I was like real tiny. And I just didn't like roller coasters because I just didn't like them. And one of the guys on the group, his name was Rob Kelly, and he was six foot five. And Rob Kelly said, before the day is over, you're going to ride the roller coaster. And I'm like, no, I'm not. And he's like, no, I don't think you understand. I'm a foot and a half taller than you, dude. You're going to ride the roller coaster. And I'm like, no. So all day he's convincing me about how great it is. I don't care because I've made up my mind that I don't want to ride the roller coaster. And all day long, he, he's just, you're going to ride it. You're going to love it. You're going to love it. You're going to love it. Y'all, he picked me up and carried me like a child through the ride on the line. Y'all know the line, the big old, if you went, it's a big old long line. You go where you start walking up the steps and he's like, now I'm not carrying you up the steps, but I'm not going to let you go backwards either. I'm like, well, I'm not riding it. And he's like, no, no, you are. I promise. We, I'm like, no, we're not. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I get on the roller coaster. <clears throat> I started off, y'all, if y'all remember the, 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 the mega zap, you went up <clears throat> and then the, you come into the big drop, right? I am literally in the fetal position around the bar. Like, I am grabbing my shins. I'm so scared. And he's like, I'm telling you, just go for it. Just go for it. I'm like, no. He's like, you're already here. Like, this is happening. Just go for it. We make the first drop. 
And I cannot tell you what happened, but something supernatural happened. Because in like one moment, I went from being absolutely terrified to having the time of my life. Why? Because I experienced something that I wasn't, I didn't think I was going to like, but I experienced something and it changed me. Now I'll ride any of them, except they got that one that's like off the side of a hotel in Vegas. I ain't doing that one. I'm, I'm good. Without, I'm good. But I'll ride pretty much any roller coaster you find. I'll ride any of them because I've experienced it and I know it's good. And you can't tell me they're bad because I've experienced it and I know it's good. But see, at one point I didn't want to try it because I didn't believe it would be any good. See, you're not going to want to try and experience God if you don't believe it's going to be good for you. Why would you? Why would you step out and do something that you don't think is going to benefit you? That's why we have to have faith. Look at, look at James chapter 2, verse 14 real quick. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus, also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. By them. I'm not going to tell you that I have faith. I'm not going to make you think that I have faith. I'm not going to post things on Facebook, on my story, that give the impression or the illusion that I have faith. You're going to see my faith by the way I live my life. There, there are actions that are going to happen because of my faith. So you're never going to taste and see if there's no faith, because why would you begin to taste something you don't think is going to be any good? If you don't like raw oysters, why would you taste one? If, you, if it grosses you out. Why would you taste a raw oyster if you're, I don't like, I, raw oysters gross me out. Char broiled oysters, I will eat them all day. But raw oysters, I'm like, that don't look like something I should be putting in my mouth. It just doesn't. So I don't believe that it would be good, so I'm not going to taste it. Right? There's some, of, there's some people in this room that you're not tasting of Jesus. Because you don't actually believe what he says about himself. You don't actually believe the way he presents himself is true. Or you have hurt, you've tried it once before and you had a bad batch and you got a stomach virus or something, right? You've had a bad experience before. And like, no, I did that already. I ain't doing that. I did that before. We have to have faith. The second thing we have to have is action. Now, between faith and action, I want to give you this real quick, this thought that I had this week that our experiences with God, hear me out, our experiences with God are always dictated by our faith. This is why Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. Hear me out. If all you do is imagine that God can do this, he'll do more than you can imagine, which is this. If you believe that God can do this, He'll do more than you can imagine. But wherever your faith is, wherever your expectation is, God does more. Because 
Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or imagine by his power that works in us. But if I'm not believing, if I'm not saying, God, no, I believe this. I'm trusting you. I believe you can do it. I don't know how you're going to do it. I don't know, I don't know how we're going to build a child care facility on the side of this building. I don't know how. But let me tell you something. He's going to do it because he said he was. And when it comes time for me to step up and be involved in it, I will. But he said he's going to do it. That's immeasurably beyond more than I could possibly imagine because Chris can't build a table. But he can do exceedingly above what I can hope or imagine. Y'all, I want to I have orphanages in other countries. I want this ministry to be funding a, 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 uh, orphanages. Couldn't find the word for a second. Orphanages in other countries. Why? Because God is so big. He's so much bigger than St. Bernard Parish and St. Tammany. He's so much bigger. Why in the world would I disrespect him by limiting him to the places I could drive? No, he can do exceedingly above and beyond. But if my, my experience will, with him will be limited by my expectation of him. So if you're saying that God's not doing much in your life, I don't know if you're believing him for much. Just going to be honest. Let's go to the second part here. Action. James 2 said, I'll show you my faith by my works, by my actions. I'm going to show you my faith. Pastor Chris, what do you mean by taste and see? Easy. All right. I want, you may say, Pastor Chris, I need the peace of God in my life. Okay. Let's go to the Bible and see what the Bible says. Philippians 4, 6 says, I just lost it. What's Philippians 4, 6? First word. Philippians 4, 6. That's 4, 7. Let's pray. Come on. This is unbelievable. I'm embarrassed right now. Be anxious for nothing. With everything through prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God. Jesus is the first word. Known to God. I did. I got anxious, see? Pray. Be anxious for nothing. You want peace. Be anxious for nothing, but through prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God. Pastor Chris, I need to, I need to see peace because verse 7 says, and the peace of God which transcends or supersedes all you could imagine will comfort your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. Well, Pastor Chris, I need peace. Okay, that's verse 7. Do verse 6. I don't want to. Okay. Can't help you there. I'm sorry, I can't help you. Like it literally says, here's the recipe. Do 6, you get 7. Right? Do verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but with everything through prayer, make your request unto God. And the peace of God. And it's the conjunction. It's coming right after it. Will comfort and guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. But if I am not doing verse 6, if I'm not tasting 6, I'm not going to see 7. If I'm not tasting of his goodness, I'm not going to see his goodness. If I'm not tasting of his word, I'm not going to see his peace and his power and his authority manifested in my life because I'm not tasting anything. It's uncomfortable to taste something new. It's uncomfortable to do something that you're not necessarily comfortable with. But once you get into it, it changes. Once you start experiencing him in a new way, you have no problem tasting and seeing at that point. But many people don't understand why they aren't seeing God move in their lives or they aren't seeing what they're believing for, yet they aren't tasting anything. 
Possibly they are tasting, but they are only tasting in ways they're comfortable with. See, some of you might be saying, Pastor Chris, I want to see the peace of God in my life. I'm going to be at church every week. That's good. But the Bible doesn't say go to church every week and you'll get peace. Pastor Chris, I need my marriage put back together, so I'm going to go to life group. That's a good step. Right? That's, that's good. But that's not the whole thing. But we only taste in ways we want. Let me give you a couple examples on what I mean by tasting. Okay? Y'all might hear, and I heard somebody, I think the other night at a group, somebody was talking, my life group, I was talking about, when I, when I preach, you may notice that my, my two brothers, they love me so much, I'm so blessed. But if you, see, you notice, they say amen a lot. Right? Like, if you hear me when someone else is preaching, I'm like, uh-huh, yep, mm, say it, mm, yep, uh-huh, good job, yep, preach it. I talk to the preacher. Now, first, as a preacher, it's good to be talked to. Just want to let you know. We like, it helps us. Let's us know that you're interested in what we're saying. But there's a spiritual part to it as well. Do you know what the word amen means? It means so be it. So if I'm preaching something, and I'm reading verse four, Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, and I say, and the peace of God, which transcends all your understanding, will comfort and guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus, and you need peace, what should you be saying? But Pastor Chris, that's weird. I know, so is an oyster. But you taste those. Y'all, can y'all do me a favor and just imagine for one second the first person to figure out crawfish were good? How they introduce that to the next person. Trust me, all right? I want you to try this. What is it? I don't even know. Where'd you find it? It was in a ditch. What'd you put in it? I don't really know. But they're good. I don't want to. Taste it. Taste it. Now, all of us, all of you right now want crawfish. Everybody in this room is like, man, wow, I want crawfish, right? Just I talked about it. But there was somebody, some way, somewhere that was walking around hungry as like, hmm, I bet I could eat that. And then somebody tasted it for the first time. And now it's like a national treasure. Why? Because they did something they were uncomfortable with. And it produced something that they enjoyed. It's the same thing with worship. Yo, do you, do you understand why we lift our hands? We lift our hands as an act of surrender. You want to know why we close our eyes? So I don't get distracted by the rest of you people. That's why. Y'all, when I was a kid and I was on a worship team, I started playing drums at eight. And see, the problem with playing drums is you pretty much have to keep your eyes open because you're hitting things. And if you're not careful, you'll hit yourself. I have a few stories where I had my eyes closed because I was passionately worshiping Jesus and caught a drumstick to the face. It happens. But when I, people wonder why, Pastor Chris, you're always talking about the presence of God is thick in here and, and he's moving and he's working. I don't understand. No, taste. Next time we're singing, um, I just want to be where you are. I just want to be near your heart because there's nothing like your love. No, there's nothing like your love. If you mean that, that you just want to be where he is and there's nothing like his love, then just close your eyes. And you could, you could, you could do the I'm, I'm working on this worship stuff pose. 
You ain't got to be all abandoned. You ain't got to be doing all of that. You could just have your hands up because it's a sign of surrender. It's you engaging him. It's you tasting of him. And I can promise you, I promise you, I promise you, whenever we begin to taste of him, he's like, ooh, watch this. It just gets better, and it gets better, and it gets better. Why? Because that's what it is. That's what happens. Another one is responding to an altar call. Like, you might think that, some of you might think this is pretty fundamental stuff. It is, but nobody preaches on it anymore. So I'm changing that narrative by preaching on it. Right? There's this thing that we believe in here called the laying on of hands. Which means that when you are struggling, battling, hurting, dealing, or just want more of Jesus, that the people that are up on their stuff spiritually and have been approved by the leadership of this church will come up to you and we will put our hands on you and believe that the Holy Spirit that's rolling around in me, because Romans 8.11 says that the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in me. And so I can come up to you and I can put my hand on you and that same Spirit that's in me can come from me onto you. Because see, there's this thing about being consecrated, which is setting myself apart unto the Lord. And as a minister, I set myself apart. And there are things I just don't do. You can, that's great. I'm not going to. Why? Because when you need Jesus to move in your life, I'm going to consecrate myself to a point that he can use me as a vessel. And you can come to the front. If you just need a touch from God this morning, I don't know. Do I need a touch from God? I don't know. Is your marriage falling apart? Well, yeah. Then you need a touch from God. Man, I've just, my, my back's been bothering me. We serve the healer. But, but, if you need to come, for, come up for prayer. And it's the same nine people. Why? Because we don't have a natural inclination to experience Him, we want to engage Him logically. I want the content. I want to learn about Jesus. Here's the problem. Matthew 7 says, many will come to him on that day and say, did I not prophesy in your name? Did I not do miracles in your name? And he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. You can know of him and not know him. To know him means to know him intimately. You can't know someone intimately if you're not experiencing them. Last, last one I'll get to real quick, just an example, is, is there's several actually. I'm going to just roll them out. Volunteering. Serving, being involved, tithing. You need God to work on your finances? Give him your finances. Like that's, that's to me, that's the easiest one because it's the most tangible and it's, it's got like math in it. And so there's like percentages and it just works. It makes sense, right? No, I need God to work on my finances. Great, well, let him have access to your finances. How? Give him 10%. Watch what happens. God does more with the 90 than you could with the 100 if you don't believe me, ask everybody who just said amen or that's right and they'll bore you to tears with stories about how God took this much money and paid this many bills and they still went to eat. I'm serious. I don't get it. It does not make sense. That's why I'm glad I'm not a math person. It would mess with my faith. If I was good at math, like people who were good at math, I'm like, I don't know how y'all tithe consistently because it don't add up number-wise. That's got to drive y'all crazy. But I don't, need to, I don't need to line up number-wise because none of my tests ever did. So it's okay. I get it. It just works for me. Amen. I'll say this, though, last time before I move on to the next point. If you really, I'm telling you this right now, if you really want to experience God in a way you haven't, you've got to give him the space to. You've got to be in a place where he can. And I'm going to tell you, right now, every other Monday night we have pursued prayer. 
That's a space where you can come and he can meet with you. You can experience him. Why? Because there's nothing else going on. There's no agenda. There's no children's church. There's no business that has to be taken care of. Nothing. It's you and Jesus. It's the presence of God. But uh -uh, Pastor Chris, that's a little weird. People are praying. That's weird. Just saying, if we're not tasting, we're not going to see. And the last thing, so first was we've got to have faith. Second, we've got to have action. But third is we've got to have consistency. We've got to have consistency. You know how long we've got to have consistency? How'd your mama get you to eat vegetables? Eat them again. Take another bite. Take another bite. Take another bite. If you don't think that's the case, just come to our house any night during the week. And tonight, Bethany informed us, I think, was it last week or week before? Was it last week? I think it was like Monday. She no longer likes bread. What? You don't, <laughs> you don't like bread? Broccoli? Okay, peas, bread. Child, bread. So, the problem is, is we eat bread for lunch. Like, that's a school lunch thing, right? When you don't like it, we give you bread. It's a sandwich. So one night last week, we're literally at the table, and Caitlin is like, Bethany, you know, eat another bite of the bread. Y'all, bread. Not any kind of, just a piece of bread. Eat another bite of the bread, babe. Eat another bite of bread. I don't like it! Eat another bite of the bread. I don't like it! Eat Go to prayer. I don't want to! Go to life group. I don't want to! I'm hungry. Here's bread. I don't want it. I need peace. Here's prayer. I don't want it. That's what we do. Pastor Chris, to go to prayer or life group, it's just, it's in the middle of the week. When do you want it? Like realistically, like when can we do it? It's got to be, it can't be right now. Nobody wants it to be on Saturday. It might be on Friday night. So, I mean, we, you, the options are limited. Well, Pastor Chris, I just, that means I got I to, like, I got to, like, go home. And I got to, like, cook dinner. And then I got to go to group. And then I got to go back home. And then I got to go ready for work the next morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That, that is what you have to do. It's okay, though. Because we'll do it for dancing or ball or all these other things. We'll, we'll let those things interrupt our routine, but we're not going to let prayer or life group interrupt our routine. I'm not preaching against prayer or ball. I'm just saying don't, don't lay down at the altar of ball if you're not going to lay down at the altar of Jesus. I'm, 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 just, I'm just saying. Because we want to taste and see that he's good, but we don't consistently taste, so we don't consistently see. His grace is so amazing. You can taste once and he'll show up. But that one taste does not last forever. I want another taste. And I want another taste. Paul says in, I think it's 1 Thessalonians, be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Every morning when I'm in prayer, I say, Lord, fill me again. Because yesterday, I, I, I used a lot of it. I used a lot of it. Right? Listen, I went to Walmart. I used a lot. If, if, if y'all know my transparent self, y'all know that my weakness is traffic. I don't do well with people who don't drive like I think they should. I just don't. This morning, I thought my iPad, well, can I tell y'all a real quick story and I'll, I'm not going to belabor it. Y'all just need to know how my morning was, right? 
my morning was I could not find my iPad that my, my sermon is on. I'm thinking, I th- at home, I was at the church. So I come to the church and here. So we remodeled. We, we had some floors put in, so we had to pick everything up this weekend. So I thought maybe she moved it. Babe, did you move my iPad? No, I haven't seen it. Awesome. This is great. So I'm here. I drive back down to South Lake, tear my house apart, can't find an iPad. I was not happy at all. You know what my iPad was? Under my center console in my truck. But it slid so far to the back that when you lift up the console, it would go with it. So like I picked it up, first place I picked it, didn't see the iPad. Y'all, by 9.15 this morning, I was like, Lord, fill me again. I know I asked like an hour ago, but it's gone. Fill me again. Y'all, I can't go off of one service. I can't go off of one tasting. I can't go off of one seeing. I need him all day, every day, just to exist. Just to exist. I've got to be consistent. I've got to say, God, and you know what? Here's the thing. What happens is the devil doesn't need to try to convince you that prayer is bad because you know it's not. You know it's beneficial. He doesn't need to try to convince you that life group is the problem or, or worship is the He's not going to convince you that they're wrong. All he's going to do is get you to mix up your priorities and rob you of your consistency. Because what will happen is one day he'll say, well, I don't know why you do that. It don't work. Why do you give that much? Why do you show up that much? Why, do you, why are you, it doesn't work. Well, well, in reality, the consistency is the problem. We're not consistent enough. Right? In January, all kind of people are going to go to the gym. And by the end of January, most of those all kind of people won't be in the gym anymore. The same thing happens here. In January, we'll be full. And by Mardi Gras, we're not full anymore. Because consistency is the problem. That's why Leonard Ravenhill says, a lack of prayer is not a belief problem, it's a discipline problem. We have to believe that he is who he says he is and run after it. Because here's the thing. When I taste and see that the Lord is good, let's keep reading. Go to verse 9. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want. One translation says, there is no lack to those who fear him. The young lions... Suffer, long the lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Why? Because if I'm constantly tasting, I'll be constantly seeing. If I taste every day, I'm going to see every day. If I experience him every day, I'm going to experience him every day. And you know what the best part is? You're not the only one who sees Everybody's going to Thanksgiving this week. Everybody's going to eat, I would assume. If not, let me know. But everybody's going to eat somewhere. But the next question is, what are you bringing to the, to the table, right? What are you bringing? Some of y'all bringing the casseroles. Some of y'all bringing the turkey. Some of y'all bringing the macaroni. Some of y'all bringing the rolls. I don't know. The dessert, the pie. You're bringing it. Well, when you show up at the party, hey, taste this. See if it tastes any good. T- taste my pie. T- whatever. Taste it. I made it. It's good. Yay. What are you bringing to the table Thursday, spiritually? What are you bringing to work tomorrow? Because you're tasting and seeing from him, but guess what? People are tasting and seeing from you. They're tasting and they're seeing from you. 
I'm, I've already said a few strong statements. I'm going to just say another one. You might be tasting and seeing in your car on the way to work, but nobody at your work knows because you're not taking what you're tasting and sharing it. You're giving them your frustration. You're giving them how much you hate your job. You're giving them how much that person annoys you. You're giving them how much this or how much that. No, 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 no. If you're tasting and seeing the Lord is good, everybody should be seeing the Lord is good through you. But the problem is, is when, when I don't bring what I'm tasting and I don't share it with anybody else, I'm robbing them of tasting and seeing because how are they going to taste and see that he's good if I don't give them something to taste? If I'm not living my life in such a way, they say, wow, I want that. I don't know what that is, but I want it. I, 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 that's, I need that right there. Some of, you, some of the young people, you go to high school and, and, and you're walking around, and I'm, I'm going to just say this. Social media has completely and totally like robbed this generation of so many things. So many things. It's the worst thing to happen to adolescents. Period. They don't know how to have actual interaction. They don't know how to accurately express their emotions. They don't know how to accu accu bleh, accurately communicate. What would it be if there was a young person, 15 years old, who would go get with Jesus, taste and see that he was good and bring that to Shelman High School? And every person you came in contact with, they could say, hey, they're different. They're just different. They don't have to know what it is. Have you ever eaten something you didn't know what it was? Yeah. I don't know what that is, but it's good. My dad told me one time, here, eat this burger. What is it? Eat the burger. At the hunt camp. All right, that's the rule. You eat what they cook. So I'm eating the burger. You like it? Yeah, it's a moose. Oh. Keep eating it. It's pretty good. They know what it was. They may not know why you're happy. They may not know why you're always encouraging. They may not know why you're always smiling when no one else in the entire building ever smiles. They laugh with a straight face. <laughs> they don't even smile when they laugh. Right? It's how bad the job can be. No, but when they look at you, they see something different. Why? Because they should be seeing the overflow of what you're seeing. The overflow of your experience. The overflow of the Christ that's the inside of you. There's a scripture I can't think of off the top of my head. It says, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Hear me out. If you've got Christ in you, you don't need the hope of glory. He's already there. What's the hope of glory for? Everybody else to see. Wow, there is something different. Taste and see. You may be here this morning and you may never have tasted. You may have never tasted. You may have never said, you know what, I, I, I'm going to give Jesus a chance. I'm going to put my faith in him. I'm going I'm to I'm stick my fork in the dish and I'm going to take a bite. I've never done that before. Maybe you're here and, and you've done it before, but, but somebody really messed up your experience. Somebody really jacked up the way you experienced Jesus, the way you, you worship, the way you love, the way you carried out your faith. Somebody really got in there and just messed that thing up. Or maybe you're here and you've been tasting and believing and expecting for something for a long time. Or you're in the middle of right now a fight and you're tasting and you're believing and you just need somebody to stand with you. I'm talking to all three people this morning. Because I believe that the God we serve is not late. He's not early. He's always exactly on time.